there. Welcome to Radio Plays. And today we are chatting with playwright Vera Swain. Um, before we dive in with Vera, we're going to introduce ourselves, some of the company members. My name is Anna Fontaine, and I acted in Turn, Turn, Turn and in Planned Obsolescence. And I am Kara Limer, and I was an actor in Turn, 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 Planned Obsolescence and The Wonder of You. Hello, I am Clay Brackney Wandelier, artistic director of the company and the director of the Barra Anthology. Barra, hello, how are you? <laughs> so let's just dive in with our first question. So how did you first get started as a playwright? And could you tell us a bit about your path to being a professional? Okay, well, the long answer is that I studied acting as an undergraduate, and I intended to be a speech major, but I won these awards, and I was given a full acting scholarship at school. During that time, I took my first playwriting class with Bill Hopman, but I also entered my first play into that college competition. This is in the 70s. Um, I think it's called the same thing now. I can't recall the name, but I entitled the play, um, Your Health Comes First, You Can Always Hang Yourself Later. (laughs) which is something my grandmother, my grandmother always said that to me. Mm. It was a collection of pieces that were connected to Judaism, because although I'm Jewish, uh, I wasn't raised with any organized religion. Mm -hmm. So I had a collection that included the Jewish wife, folktales, a joke from Woody Allen that I always remember. So a man approaches a rabbi and says, Rabbi, why are we not allowed to eat pork? And the rabbi says, we're not. (laughs) <laughs> when I graduated, I submitted this play to Jewish Rep on 14th Street, and Ron Avni accepted it as a production. But um, I was young, and I wanted to pursue acting, and so I declined. And instead, I did an internship at New Jersey Shakespeare, not during the mm-hmm. Shakespeare season, during the fall season, where I actually went on opening night in Of Mice of Men as Curly's wife. Mm-hmm. The girl heard her back. I think my father did some voodoo or something. So. <laughs> Got <Okay. you> in. <laughs> anyway, here's the real story. So in 1983, I saw Crimes at the Heart on Broadway. And I mm. said, oh, I can write a play about sisters. And so I began a class with John Ford Noonan at the 63rd Street Y. And he said, if you finish this play, I'm going to nominate you for this award. So I finished it and I, uh, I won the award. It was called the Writer's Voice Award. And at the performance, there was a company called Vibrations, Inc., Productions Mm -hmm. and Deaf Awareness. And they knew that I knew sign language. I'd studied it. But anyway, so I wrote a play for them called Welcome Home, Max, Love, Bob, and Harry, mainstreaming a deaf woman into the play. And since I know sign language, Mm -hmm. I was able to work both sides. Mm -hmm. But I'd also done a short piece for them called Woolmates. And so I had a hearing actress and a deaf actress playing twins. Mm -hmm. That was at the American Museum of Natural History. And the irony is that the museum withdrew their support from the deaf awareness company and gave me the grant. So I actually did 12 productions there and always accessible to the hearing impaired. Beautiful. Yeah. But uh, the irony is the woman, she liked me and she liked (laughs) my process. She liked Mm my, my attitude. So I worked for them, the museum, like 1987 to 2012. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was my long answer. My short answer is that I'd (laughs) rather eat. And I don't mean making money. I mean eat. At school, we were weighed in. Ooh. Oh, no. Ooh, not a good time. As an actor. Oof. Yes. And in high school, even prior to this, I had auditioned for our senior high school play. Believe it or not, I can dance. So 
I was Gladys, you know, the one who does steamed heat. And the director mm-hmm. in high school said, could I lose weight? And then I could have the role. No. Oh, oh yes. Oh, and no. so, yeah. So I went on a diet, ended up in the hospital with my first eating disorder, uh, which I had oh, through my Lord. 20s. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Literally, wow. Yeah. It's so nice when you don't have to have yourself be the presentation. So mm-hmm. I can eat again. Mm-hmm. And actually, the first time I saw a reading of one of my plays, I said, I felt the same way as I do when I got married. I mean, that's a pretty strong mm-hmm. emotion, but yeah, that's how I felt. And now my daughter says I just have disordered eating. That's all, <laughs> and, you know, instead. So kind of like going into the, the works that we did with you and, and the works you shared with us in this anthology. You know, we had Turn, 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 My Heart Will Go On, Planned Obsolescence and The Wonder of You. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe like what it inspired each of these pieces? Was it a prompt for one or I don't know, a song for one? Like you're listening to the radio and you're like, hey. <laughs> Listen, everybody thinks that I've got all these great ideas, right? I have no ideas. I have zero <laughs> ideas. I do everything by prompt. So Turn, Turn, Turn was inspired by a call for submissions from the Articulate Theater Company where we were challenged to write a play based on a folk song. Mm. Turn, Turn, Turn was sung at my husband's funeral. Mm. And uh, I'm widowed 25 years now. And my sister-in-law played it on her guitar, you know, during the service. So I, I felt like the, the play was an homage to him. Oh, and my husband was born in Mississippi and raised in Memphis. I, I, I don't think that belongs here, but I often honor the setting of my plays in the South. In this particular play, though, I wanted to mainstream a young widow on stage with some authenticity. Is how I perceive widowhood, because I'm widowed so long, and while it informs everything I do, it doesn't define me. Yeah, I say that 95% of my work, of my writing, is in response to guidelines. So the original guideline was a a photograph entitled Folded. And in the Mm -hmm. picture, it was a young man with a bare chest. He was folded on the floor with his legs drawn. And on the floor was a red color. And it appeared to me to be blood. And that's how I wrote it. I didn't win the contest. I never win what I write for. (laughs) But it always has a life beyond it. It's shocking. Mm. Everything I go, oh, my God, I'm going to get this one. I'm going to get this one. And then it's so surprising. But it it makes me laugh. But (laughs) it's fine. I was also writing it on a personal level to help me, though, because I was trying to deal with the traumatic experience that my daughter was going through at that time. She had 10 blood clots during her last pregnancy. So I wrote my worst fantasy. Mm. I was right by her when that baby was born, measuring the blood, measuring everything. And that was another impetus to write the play, which Mm. brings us to the next play, which was also in response to my daughter's illness, his planned obsolescence. I don't want to give away the premise, but it was written (laughs) after my daughter delivered Ellery, and they're Mm. both fine. Mm. But again, that play was uh, twofold. I was writing for a women's series of stage readings that I was producing at Urban Stages called The June Plays. Actually, my colleagues nixed it. So I withdrew it from The June Plays and Mm -hmm. I presented The Wonder of You. It's been produced in many other venues now and actually it just won first prize in the... the Shawnee Playhouse in Pennsylvania. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, but they're waiting to stage it after the pandemic is over. Mm -hmm. So that gives us kind of some background on the plays. What about your characters that you write, which are so rich and colorful? Do you tend to sort of model them after people that you know in real life? 
as I write, I think about something that my oldest sister, who's um, who's a retired psychotherapist, and she once said to me, she said, we're all contradictions of ourselves. And when I do model characters after people that I know, they rarely recognize themselves anyway. And I always think that's funny, Mm -hmm. especially my middle sister, who, you know, I I think I've said this before at the end of a play of mine, the audience is crying because you know me, I like drama, I like comedy. And she kept turning around. She's going, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? (laughs) And and I'm like, they're moved by this character, but the character was her. (laughs) And while she semi-recognized herself, she didn't. So you've talked a lot about the concept of loss, and there's a lot of loss in these plays. Can you talk a bit about another character witnessing another character's loss or the dynamic of this concept? Well, it's funny because shortly after my husband died, I actually wrote a play that had no prompt that took place in a cemetery. It was called Prize Begonias. And that was, I think, my first play where a character witnesses the grief of another character. Mm-hmm. Now, I've only visited my husband's grave twice. He's dead almost 26 years. So for me, this play served as a, a fantasy for all the visits that I haven't taken to see him and what I would have liked to have happened if I went to the grave. Mm. And Grief is such a funny thing. I find grieving with strangers is much easier than grieving with my family, with my Mm -hmm. friends. I find some shame in it. It was too scary for me to go back to that graveyard. It's my plot. It's right there. That's very scary. Ah, That's where I'm going to be buried. Oh, Oh, uh, there's that element. (laughs) But now I'm going to quote two people. One person, I have no idea who she is. Her name is Jane (laughs) Rule. And she says... Every artist seems to me to have the job of bearing witness to the world we live in. To some extent, I think of all of us as artists because we have voices and we are each of us unique. Maya Angelou said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Mm. So to me, even if it's just one sentence in a story, like Mm. I like writing where I cringe when I write it, especially if it's a truth, if it's authentic. Mm. No, those are the hardest. But when I watch my plays as a witness among other witnesses, the audience's response makes me feel part of something bigger than me. It soothes me and it validates me and gives me permission to have these feelings. Jumping on the back of that then, I mean, because again, in all these plays, you know, you have those moving scenes and, and you have that loss and that grief and grappling with that but then you also have a lot of wit and a lot of humor because you mentioned like you know grief is this funny thing what about whether it's experiences in your own life or your point of view where you like to mix these two things and these two things coexist in these plays yeah well of course the loss of my husband was a major Mm -hmm. influence he was sick 11 years uh Mm -hmm. we had our daughter um his 13th heart attack he was pronounced dead and Mm -hmm. I was deciding whether or not I should bring her to see him before he died. Well, it ends up he wasn't dead. He was in a coma. Mm. And but when he came out of it, he had no memory. He would watch. I remember um, I was telling him that uh, that Hoss from, uh, no, not, not, not Hoss, um, uh, Joe Cartwright from Bonanza had died that mm. year. Mm. When I came in, I said, oh, you know, um, what's that actor's name? Um, I'm blanking his name uh, from Bonanza because it's a show you probably haven't watched. But I said, oh, so-and-so died today. And he goes, huh? 
I just was with Hoss riding around the Ponderosa <laughs> with him because he could only respond to what he saw. You know, um, he, he uh, and then to my shock, he didn't know how to read or write. He went to, mm -hmm. I said, why don't you write a note to Jesse, our wow. daughter? She, he thought Jesse was our dog. And, oh, no. um, but he went to write and it was nothing. Mm. So wow. I kind of already lost him then. And, and yeah. as he got better, he lived another, um, it was 1991. He lived another four years, happier mm -hmm. than he ever was. He didn't just lose his memory. He lost the pain and he loved me more than anything. Mm -hmm. And I would say, no, you love our daughter the best. <laughs> he just loved me. So it was like a, a new love affair. But anyway, that was the first issue about illness. And then, of course, I had a pulmonary embolism, which almost killed me. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, I had a bleeding stroke in 2012. Mm -hmm. That's almost eight and a half years ago. And, you know, my claim to fame in that is that I was in bed with Burt Reynolds when I had the stroke. <laughs> we do know that story. <laughs> well, the irony in that is that when I had the brain surgery, they found two unruptured brain aneurysms. So the surgery actually kind of saved my saved life, your life because yeah, they well, coiled yeah. one. The other one, they couldn't coil. It was too small. So mm. I live my life now walking around with a brain aneurysm that I have to have checked every year till it gets big enough. That's why I think a lot of it is funny because I don't have a choice. So either I can walk around crying all the time or I can live my life and be a role model for my daughter. I'm not always a good role model, trust me. <laughs> so um, it's the way I cope. Wow. So I'd had a lot of loss, but I always wrote about disabilities. And I think... It's because I was raised where I was an outcast and I kind of related to people that were physically disabled. I just remember I taught at a cerebral palsy camp one summer, hmm. but I always knew as a young child even was I understood that one day I would be very old. Hmm. So I've always hmm. been very compassionate about older people <laughs> yeah. uh, until now, now that I'm getting old. So... I would like to know if, in the process of writing some of these plays, if they turned out vastly different. Like you said, you write from prompts, mostly. So if you've written from a prompt, then you were like, well, actually, this no longer fits the prompt or anything like that. In a successful play, each character should need something. This is mm -hmm. the most important part of a play structure. And the other important element is the Passover question, which is why now, why today? Mm. I even know that that's Passover. It's not Hanukkah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but those two things are very important in a short piece because you want to raise the bar. So in a short play, the stakes are raised. And so, yes, my story can change as I explore and try to discover whether the character succeeds in getting what they want or doesn't succeed in getting what they want, whether it's physical or emotional. Oh, for the record... Um, oftentimes I'll take a playwriting class. I only take beginning playwriting because to hmm. me, I, I don't want to go off and show off this. And, you know, I, I love the, um, just like I like young companies. I love the passion of beginning mm. playwrights. Mm -hmm. And I think that structure is really, really important. So um, I have one play it, it's published has been done all over the place. And I remember they said, your character needs to want something. 
So this was called the hotel lobbyist. And this older woman was handcuffed to a chair in a mm-hmm. hotel lobby. Mm-hmm. And her daughter says, give me the key, mother. And it was it's about her not wanting to go back to a nursing home and all of this. Mm-hmm. But So okay. that can also be what someone wants. It can be something viable, not not someone to love them. What is it about the, the short play format that maybe you enjoy or find challenging or you're drawn to? I like getting in and getting out. But mm-hmm. truthfully, I embraced the short form because I had a full-time job. I was raising my daughter by myself. Mm-hmm. And you can get in and out of a short play easier than structuring a full length. Mm-hmm. I never heard of the genre until 1998, and uh, I'm good at it. I have only like so. six full-length plays from many moons ago, and I just have more confidence with the short form. I think I'd feel inadequate writing a full... Oh, wait a minute. I just wrote a full-length. Kara inspired me to write it because oh. I loved her work, and I finished it, and mm-hmm. I had a reading of it, and I still haven't done more rewrites. Now, when you work on a play, even though she was my muse... It doesn't mean I could cast her in it. In this particular reading, the director was casting. This is changing gears a little bit, but what was it like for you to work on and hear your plays with us in an audio drama format? I enjoyed it because, first of all, it's interesting to hear the words and the intention without saying, oh, this person is the wrong type. Or, you know, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect that. So it was really exciting um, listening to the words. And truthfully, this is very funny about me. I don't remember anything that I write. I know Mm. when they missed a line. (laughs) But other than that, I don't know. And it actually brings me back to why I wrote the plays when I hear them. I've had two radio plays that I adapted to radio plays. But it's really interesting to hear the voice. Now, I don't know how you perceive my voice. but I still get cast in things. I'll do readings every now and then. Mm-hmm. And I have a very young voice. The next and the last show I was cast in that I did a reading for, I played a five-year-old. <laughs> but I love it. It was in the breathing, though. It wasn't in yeah. my voice. It was in a speech pattern. So we're going to start wrapping it up. But I wanted you to remind us sort of where you're based and where people can find more of your work if they want to follow you and get to know you as an artist better. Well, I live uh, in the East Village in Manhattan. It's a whole different ball game here with my dog, a chihuahua named Malinka. I said, give me anything but a chihuahua. I hate chihuahuas. They said, would you take a sick chihuahua? She's been with me five years. <laughs> if you Google me, you have to Google search Barra Swain playwright or some ridiculous stuff comes up. But my website is baraswain.com. I try to keep myself updated. I don't announce everything because it doesn't always serve you. Mm. I was just informed that one of my short pieces is going to be in Best 10 Minute Plays 2021. And I'm thrilled, but I've also submitted it some other places. Mm. So I don't want there to be a conflict of whether it can be done or not. Sure. Mm. Well, you're in several one-act books and monologues, right? Oh, yeah. I have about uh, about 15, 15 or 20 Nice. Uh, books and monologues. I, I don't usually mention it. I did get my master's in fiction mm-hmm. after my mm-hmm. husband died, not mm-hmm. in playwriting. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually said, well, why aren't you applying to your master's in playwriting? I said, because um, I'm a playwright. I like <laughs> to follow directions. So I went upstairs to the drama department to talk to the dean. Who's the dean? My old roommate. 
And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And as a matter of fact, um, the reason I applied for fiction was I thought I could do it on my own. Again, raising my daughter by myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I'm going to get a scholarship. And um, someone challenged me. They said I'd never get into the new school. So, of course, I had to apply. I mean, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so I, I, um, I actually have a double major. It's in adult fiction and in children's fiction. I write children's plays. I just don't talk about it because I had my own kids company in order to engage my daughter and her friends. It was Mm. called the Six and Stones Players. Oh, yeah. So I I did that for a while. What's some advice you have for writers who are just starting out? Okay. Um, There are three proverbs that age me that applies to all theater artists. One, luck occurs when opportunity knocks and you answer. Mm. I like that. It's my modus operandi. Um, mm. I like engaging with people. So now I'm more engaged. Number two, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Mm. I think that's very important. And number three, chance favors those in motion. So mm. you don't put yourself out there. If you're not active, mm. no one's going to see you. I was insulted once because someone said to me that I get so many productions because I submit so much. Well, yeah. That's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, like... That's how it works. But if you don't submit, you're not in the game. Even this one next collection, I read the email again. They had 1,050 submissions. Mm. So this woman happened to like my play. Fine. You know, but you have to be in it to win it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then you have to be proactive. You got to join a playwriting group. The playwriting group at Abingdon, where I ended up producing the short play festivals... I went in as an actress, not a playwright, mm. because my friend who was in the group wanted an older voice. And I had to reveal I was a playwright. <laughs> I, then I had to audition as a playwright. And I'm like, but I'm a playwright. I, I don't know why people would not assume that I actually have some acting ability because I write for actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we'll agree. I'm an actor's writer. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so if you join a group, you should be prompt whether it's on Zoom or when it's live, and you should abide by the rules. You won't be asked back if you're disruptive. Another thing to do is to attend plays by companies that you're interested in working with. Mm-hmm. And when you do attend those plays, even if it's on Zoom, Google the company, find out who the artistic director is, mm-hmm. write to them. But you have to be genuine. It's flattery. Mm-hmm. People know false flattery. They right. just do. Um, and I always believe, yeah, that's what I believe. Wait, I have another suggestion. (laughs) Offer your services other than writing at theater companies. I met the artistic director in the front. She was sweeping the sidewalk. I didn't know she was the artistic director. You know, volunteer to usher, to house manage, um, to help with concessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, when, When places are open, you visit the administrative office and you thank them. I'm working with someone now who was the best assistant stage manager in a play that I saw about nine years ago. She went on to get her master's at Columbia in directing. Mm. Brilliant director. She directed two pieces of mine. Mm -hmm. But I had assumed if she was such a good stage manager, her attention to detail, um, the way 
she was able to calm people. It was just one of those explosive casts. And I assumed she'd be a fantastic director. And that's what Mm -hmm. I based it on without even knowing her work. Mm -hmm. So I wrote her recommendation. So I don't believe in networking. What I'm saying sounds like networking, but I believe that like all of you, you make friends Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. make them your true friends and then you'll support each other because you want them to do well. I have a few friends that aren't that talented. <laughs> I have a hard time with it. You know, I know I have to like, um, I, I shouldn't say that my best, you know, my closest friends are all very talented and, and it's, it's still, it's my judgment, but I struggle with some things that I'm kind of, kind of ashamed about. It's kind of like young people. I love having people of all ages in my life. It makes my life richer. Mm-hmm. Like today, I'm looking at up and coming talents, and usually I feel motherly, I feel good about it, and then I feel old. So, mm-hmm. for me, I'm producing a series at Urban Stages now, the Heroes and Villains monologues, and the people are from all over. I've worked mm-hmm. with every single one of them, and I'll invite one of you in. You know, you have to expand your community a little at a time, you mm-hmm. can't just yeah. get rid of everybody. Um, <laughs> But I have people there from Australia, from the West Coast, from the East Coast, Portugal. And I'm going to be able to see all these people working together. Mm -hmm. I want them to work together so they can also get something from each other. My sister and I were talking about this yesterday. Is um, We don't like to say age is just a number. (laughs) But I am the age that I am. And I've taken, um, I would say, at least three three year breaks over the last 30 years, at least. Mm. Now I work faster because I'm dancing as fast as I can while I can. Mm. And because I, I love it. And I, I love the community. Mm. Anything else? No, that's a beautiful no, that's to beautiful, end on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> thank you so much, Vera. Yeah, thank you for talking to us. <laughs> okay, my loves. I will talk to you and thank you. Yeah, um, yeah thank, thank you. Thank you yeah. too, Vera. Okay. Bye.